look, I'm going to pray. Yeah. 
is a law of gravity. There are other laws, laws of thermodynamics and such and such. Um, these are the laws of the Lord and that science has only just discovered these laws. Right? God made these laws. Science discovered these laws. Science has no more creation um, power or they have not created those laws any more than Christopher Columbus created America. Right? Christopher Columbus the new world. Um, science, scientists discover what God has already created in our world. Yet our kids are being taught that we evolved from from a primordial yeast, if you will, you say that. And our teachers are forbidden to teach scripture as, as atheists and evolutionists and doctrinists. And yet our Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I wonder how long it's going to take before that becomes institutional in our country. And it's locked up. I have a professor in college who said, only theologians have the right to interpret all science since they are trained in the mother of sciences, which is theology. He ended with this statement, scientists have only observed observations while we have revelation. Number three, the God whose faith discovers. A third reason we know that there's only one Lord is that we can discover the truth about him by faith. Nobody has ever been argued into believing God. Now, many times what happens, right, um, there's a very, very large church in the state that used to neighbor my own um, back when I lived in Illinois. So one of their modus operandi where they would go from door to door, and that there was nothing inherently wrong with going door to door. But they had a very, uh, how do you want to say it, ruthless, right? They had a very, uh, they would go to your door, and uh, many of them would say, you know, Warren, uh, I'm going to talk to you about this, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk, and talk. And many people just wanted them to go away, so they'd say, look, I'm going to shake your hand, and if you squeeze my hand, then I know that you're just looking for fruit. Guy to go away when you're going to squeeze that guy's hand, right? But what are they doing? They're using that as a feather in their cap. They go back, they report the numbers to the guy who's driving the bus or driving whatever, they report that number and they say, hey, I, I had 10 people make a decision today. You had 10 people squeeze your hand, right? Maybe one of those people uh, made a decision, but are you seeing fruit in there? That's always the danger of vacation Bible school, right? If we want to go back to that, we're going to have that is because of how easy it is to talk to children and convince them of the truth, and it is the truth, but sometimes you can get kids that go back just because their friends go back. When you have an invitation during the teaching time at Vacation Bible School, you can have, they'll go back because their friends went back. Or they'll tell that cool teenager or that nice adult what they want to hear. Especially if you aren't talking to them the right way and if you're going through the gospel with them. Is this something that you want to God will really like it if you do this, right? You should educate them, like, this is what I believe in, right? Like, that, that isn't them making a decision. That's you guiding them just a little bit too much in that, uh, in that decision-making. So you have to be very careful, or they, they can make those decisions. That's a BDS decision. Um, working with teens for so long, we used to call a lot of the decisions that teens would make camp decisions. You bring a teen to camp, they're away from their friends, they're away from everything else, and they make that decision. 
from now on, and then the first day they're back home, whoop, right back to what they were doing before. Because many times what happens is they just get on fire. They, they, they're on fire during that specific time, but they've never really let the Holy Spirit change their heart, right? Um, or the foundation wasn't there at home or whatever. They weren't. They would make the decision, and then they would go home, not put the proper hedges up in their life to help them to make that decision, not have any sort of accountability part of the I'm talking about kids, but we do that as adults as well, right? How many people have ever gone on a diet and then two weeks later you're really hungry and you just fall right off? Say, well, I ate one day, I guess I'm good, right? Now that's something very, very physical, right? Very, very of this world. But how many of how many of us have said, I'm going to do my devotions more regularly, or I'm going to pray more regularly, or I'm going to do blank and blank and blank and you make that decision. You're for a little bit, and then you miss a day, and life is busy, and life is whatever, and then you get through that, and then you're like, I am back in my old ways again. Right? It's because we never really allowed for that decision to be made in our heart, right? Um, so, God so created you that when your heart is right, it will respond to the facts of God the way a healthy eye That means no rivals, no rebuttals, 
or refusal to him. The idea of before me, right, no other gods before me, is literally before my face, or no other gods in my sight. That is saying that God didn't want Israel bringing any other gods into his presence, either in addition to or in opposition to him. Let me ask this question. Why did he deem that necessary? Why do you think God said, no other God in my presence or my face, why do you think he said that? If Israel knew the truth about God, why would why would he even need to say that? Why, they, they saw the miracle. Right? Why would they even need to say that to them? something jockeys them in their life. When there is a 
God's hand and let him help you over that hurdle? Or are you going to say, well, it was good, God, for a little bit, but I'm back to the golden pasture. Right? We do that all the time. Our golden path just isn't a physical golden path. Right? We say that we're going to do our devotions and read our Bible more, but our golden path is probably the television. Our golden path could be work. Our golden path could be our kids. Our golden path could be our friends. Our golden path could be our phone. It could be anything, right? Whatever you're putting in the place of God or whatever God wants you to do, that is your golden path. And the minute we say, yep, we're going to do our devotion more, I want to read my Bible more, I want to come to church more, I'm going to tithe more, I'm going to do blank, 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 blank. We say we're going to do all of these things, start doing them until it gets a little tough. And then we say, well, okay, I'll just go back to that. Because that's our, that's our default. And God isn't going to become your default until you've thrown everything else away and given everything to Him. That's when He becomes your default. I remember when Nicole and I first got saved, our default was not going to church. Right? Now, we would go to Sunday school and Sunday morning. Right? We would go all the time. And then when we first got saved, we would not go to Sunday night because we had laundry to do, or our favorite TV show was on, or football was on, or we were tired, or whatever, right? And we wouldn't go to Sunday evening service until we started growing in the Lord, we started realizing that every time the church doors were open, we should try to be there as much as humanly possible because God commands that you should be fellowshipping with other believers and that you should and if we were a member of this church, then we should be there. That'll help us to grow in the Lord. And then we started going. If we knew when we stayed home that we should have been at church. And we would sometimes go at night. But when it came down to it, when we were tired or, or had lots of laundry or the house was a mess or whatever, the kids were a little grumpy that night. It was so easy to go back to our default, which was we're not going, right? But once we had it that God was our default, it was very easy to say, well, the kids are grumpy. Oh, well, they'll get over it. Let's go, right? That laundry, that laundry will still be there. Let's go. That TV became far less important, right? It's, it's tough. It's not easy, but it's right. And it becomes easier as time goes. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. So, God's commandment for today. Right? God's commandment for today. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is still the plan for today. Contrary to the world's belief, right? The, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment as we're looking at it today, is not outdated. It's not. Um, our society more like Egypt than Canaan today, unfortunately. Our children aren't susceptible to false gods because we live in an Egypt-like culture, which is why I often say people don't need religion. They actually need to turn from religion, in most cases, and turn to biblical Christianity. This means that whenever God says, I will do, right? This is, this is still his plan for us today in our homes. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt know the gods before me. We have no other gods before our God, Big G, that would
Whatever he tells us to do, we need to do. Nothing will come between me and God. Nothing will come before him in my life. He will be the absolute priority in my life because his will, his commandments, are not for our punishment, but for our welfare. For the welfare of us, for our marriage, for our children. Isaiah 28, verse 9 says, Who shall he teach knowledge, and who shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. And we have to get this first place in our lives. He loves you. And each time he says, thou shalt not, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. We need to understand this principle. We need to teach it to our children. We need to begin early, precept upon precept. And that's how you do it. It's precept upon precept. Not at all, not all at once, but little by little. Because that's how we are able to receive it, right? The way that my kids are able to receive the Bible is the same way that I, at 25, was able to receive the Bible when I first got saved. It was little by little. The key here is consistency and faithfulness. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. We're going to deal with this additionally in the last of the final lesson, but I want to keep this in the front of your mind as we go through the first commandment. Of course, the best way to teach your children the truth of the first commandment is to live it out yourself in your home. If your kids see you putting other things before God, they're going to become disillusioned and they're going to become discouraged. I will tell you that being a youth pastor for that I could say I never will, but I'm going to lose my temper with my children sometimes. Nicole and I are going to make a decision about something that our children should do that is not going to be correct. Maybe that we didn't read about, maybe we didn't pray about enough, maybe we didn't read the correct Bible precepts about that, whatever. The the road of of parenting is, is, is filled with potholes. However, you live your life in that shroud of hypocrisy, 
why wouldn't they? When they come to church with their parents, and their parents, if they even come in, some may just take their kids, drop them off, and they go do something else while their kids come to their little fun time during church time. But even if they don't do that, right, if they're in there and their parents are on their phones looking at fantasy football the entire time they're supposed to listen to the pastor, right? Even if they're not, if everything that is said in here dies the minute you step foot out of that door and get into your car, why would why would a young kid who is now getting older and has to make the decision, why would they find any value in this? Why would this give them any value?
because there are many potential clients and business partners who go to Wheaton Church, and it will be good for my business if we go there. The boy who had a deep interest in religion became so disillusioned that he was turned against religion altogether with a vengeance. That young boy eventually moved to England and began to write, and that boy's name was Karl Marx. As the father of communism, he wrote the Communist Manifesto, and in which he called religion an opiate of the masses. I wonder how the world would be different if the father of Karl Marx had heeded Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. Your kids know whether you love the Lord with your whole heart or not. They know it. Whether you think you hide it well or not, you don't. They know it. Kids want to see whether their parents love the Lord enough to obey him no matter what happens. In the upper room, Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 14, If ye love me, keep my commandments. The Apostle John, who was present for the statement and several similar that came later wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. True love for God always translates into obedience. I'm going to say that over. True love for God always us and continue to be with us as a church.